How much do you think about death? Do you think about death very much? I think the older we get, we think a little bit more about death. Um, today, uh, we're, we're talking a little bit about death. Um, got dim in here. I'm thinking, is my, am I getting closer? <laughs> I don't, that's okay. I, I don't mind the dim. <laughs> it, just, it was just uh, perfect timing of, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've seen the lights. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you know, in, uh, in, uh, in Paul's day, death was a big deal. Um, and for the early church Christians, death was kind of uh, something that they were preoccupied with a lot, it seems, because there's a lot of scripture that talks about death and what that's like and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, they, they were, I, and I think they had good reason for doing that. They, you had the understanding that, that there were many in that early first century church who were confident that they were never going to see death. That Christ was going to come before they, before they died. I mean, they, they thought that the return of Christ was imminent and, and so, you know, give everything away, live, you know, give it all out. You know, they just thought, well, what difference does it make? Christ is coming before I die anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. Well, the problem is as you went through very many years and Christ didn't immediately come, and they began to say, well, what happens? What about those who have fallen asleep? What about those who have already passed? Uh, and all those kinds of things that begin to have those kind of conversations about, okay, well, what, what does this mean? What does this look like? And then, and then you had the very real, uh, experience of martyrdom. Uh, Christians uh, were progressively being, uh, more and more attacked and, uh, imprisoned and some were stoned, uh, Stephen was, and others were, were just killed. And, and, and you had this conversation about death. And, and last week, uh, Paul was talking in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, and, and we kind of talked about this big highlight that it is, it is all about God. God is our focus. If we get off of that, we're, we, we tend to run into some other things. God is our focus, and God is the one who can do all of these things. And then he immediately shifts this, and, and he says, and that's the message of the gospel, that, that this God is able, that God is above all else, that God is the simple... Gospel preached, if we will but believe, uh, there is this wonderful new life that happens to us. And he says, immediately, he's just this exaltation of, oh, wow, this is such a great thing. And he immediately says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That we are given this, this grace, we are given this message of the gospel, we are given this hope that we have, and, but we hold it in these earthen vessels, these very fragile things that we are. And, and he briefly mentions this idea of, of how we are being put to death and how we suffer death. And, and where we're headed today in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, is, is kind of a continuation of that conversation about death, about what happens when you die. What, what is this all about? What, how do we think about these things and what do we do with this stuff? And so, so that's kind of where we're at today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, talking about this idea, well, what happens, what is this all about, this death business, and, and what does that mean for us, what happens to us? And so if you have your Bibles, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 10, and, oh, they're up on the screen, okay, I didn't know I, they were going to get there, I didn't get my stuff to uh, Heather early enough, uh, so I was wondering. 
Okay, I'm reading. Now we know that if we, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that is, if death has come, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we always we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident and say, we, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, uh, kind of an amazing concept. He's he's thrown out a lot of big ideas, and I I, I want to just I want to just remind us of three of those big ideas and how that impacts us in what we think about. I don't have an outline for you, so you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. You're going to have to write it in your Bible or write it on a notepad. And there's no space in the new version of our bulletin, so I don't know what you're going to do. So figure it out. I don't know. <clears throat> But this is it. I, I just want to. I want to just share with you three great truths, most of which you know, some of which we live by, some of which we don't. But here it is: three things. Paul assures the Corinthians and us that there is life after death. That there is life after death. Now, that seems like a silly thing to say. We're all in church. We all believe that. We know that. And yet we live in a world and we're influenced in many ways by people who would say, there is nothing more, there is nothing beyond this. You die, you die, you go back to dust, you're nothing. Or they would say, oh, you're going to die and you're going to come back some other creature and you're going to work your way through all kinds of, I mean, all kinds of philosophies about what there is out there. Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, there is life after this death, that, that this mortal body of us is going to get turned into something different. We're going to have new bodies in a new place, in a new heaven, and it's going to be different. This is the, the transformation, and he, and he uses this idea to say of a tent. This tent that we have now is going to be, and he's referring to as our bodies, this tent that we have now is going to be transformed into a new heavenly dwelling. It will be turned transformed in this new temple of Christ. We are going to be given something different in heaven. Now, I thought there was such an interesting passage of Scripture because do you remember what the Gospel of John says in, in John 1.14? You maybe have that one memorized. You will as soon as I say it, I'm sure. It says, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But the idea of that made His dwelling among us really is the idea to say that the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. And here we have Paul, one more time, referring to this, 
this body. So he's saying, Christ came from heaven and pitched his tent among us. And now Paul is saying, we live in this tent, our bodies, and we're going to return to have something different like Christ has above. And there's this wonderful illustration of what he's doing about this. But but whether or not, we don't know, you know, in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus talks about this new place we're going to have, and it's a, a new dwelling. It's kind of a literal building that we're going to have. Second Corinthians chapter 15 talks about this new body that we're going to have, new body that's no longer going to suffer, no longer going to have pain or sorrow or all that kind of stuff. We, we kind of get all those ideas. But this is what I wanted to really want you to know. But there is a transformation that takes place. We are going from this life into another life, and we are going to be changed. We are going to be made new. It is going to be much better and and a much healthier. No more temptation, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more mess and fuss and all the rest, right? I don't know where you live, but that's good news to me. That's good news to me. And Paul makes this really interesting transition. What do we usually say? We usually say life and death, right? We usually say life and death. Paul says something different. Did you catch it as we went through it? He says, we are going to have this different thing. We are going to be clothed in a different way so that this mortal may be swallowed up by life. We, we sometimes have it backwards. We, we sometimes think about, well, this is my life and then I'm going to die. Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. Paul says, no, this what we have now is just our mortal. And, and one day that's all going to be transformed. It's going to be swallowed up, not, not rejected, not thrown away. It's not this dualistic thing of, of the body's bad and the spirit's good. But it, it is this sense to say this mortal is going to be swallowed up, is going to be swallowed up into life. That's good. You're looking out at me like you're pretty serious here this morning. I don't know. And what is our response to that? Paul makes these big-ass explanations, these, these big statements, these, these big concepts. And, and then he says, and, and, and it's kind of, so therefore, this is what we do. And, and, and he says to this idea that our, our life is going to be transformed, this, this mortal is going to be transformed into life. And, and he says, what do we do in that process? He says, we groan. We groan. He says it like three or four times in this passage of Scripture, that, that these bodies, this life, this experience that we have right now groans for that day when we will be made different. Groans for that moment when we will see Christ face to face. Groans for that experience of transformation. Groans for that day when there is no more sickness and there is no more pain. There is no more of this rest of stuff. And we just groan over those things. Have you ever groaned over something? I did as a kid a lot. I don't know. Maybe that wasn't that kind of groaning, but sometimes we groan over pain and sorrow and sickness. I hear that a lot in my bed. <laughs> I hear Norma sometimes she's just like. Ugh. 
I'm sitting next to her and I'm groaning too. We groan over those things that deeply trouble us, those things that are either physically painful or emotionally or spiritually troubling. We groan over those things and, and we just say, God, help us. I was at this altar and praying just a moment ago, and I, I was reminded that, that we have an altar bench. Not to sit on. I mean, I'm sitting on it. I, I remember I gave an altar call one time, and, and well, people are, don't use these things much. I gave an altar call one time. and want to come and pray at, the, at our altar benches, and he just came and sat down. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that works. <laughs> that works. Come sit down. That but, but you know why we have a bench and not, you know, one of the tall, you know, you, you go into some churches and the altars are very tall and, and they sit up very tall and they have their hands and they can do this kind of thing. We don't have one of those. Not by accident. We have benches because in our historical tradition, we understand this idea of groaning and, and this idea of just falling on a bench and saying, oh, God, help me. I don't know what I'm going to do, but help me. In that sense of groaning, and we fall upon an altar. We fall upon a place where we just say, God, I need your help like no other's going to help me. And we groan over those things. We also groan with anticipation. Do we not? We get all excited. I'm going to go do something. It's going to be so much fun. I'm, I'm getting to go. Getting to go someplace. Getting to do something. I'm, I'm, we've got a trip planned down to Mexico, and I'm all excited. <laughs> going to go sit by the water for a couple days, and I'm ready. Paul says, until that time when we change from this existence into that next existence, when we have that transition, we groan. We groan with anticipation. We groan with the pain of it. We groan with sorrow and we groan with expectation. But this is the reality that there is a heaven awaiting us. There is a transformation coming. That's true. True today, true next week, true in a year, true in ten years, true until it's all over and he comes again. And Paul says another great truth to us. He says, while we are waiting in our groaning, the Holy Spirit is given to us as an assurance, a guarantee, a deposit of these things. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose, has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You'll remember a lot of passages talk about these things. 
You'll remember Jesus talked about it in John chapter 16 uh, when he talked about this idea of, of a comforter coming. And if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go, the Father will send the comforter to you and, and he will come and show you all things and teach you all things and convict the world of sin and, and do all the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. And Paul continues with those kinds of thoughts when he says, if you want to flip with me a little bit over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And Paul says there, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This, this Holy Spirit business is, is given to us as, as this deposit, this assurance that, that there is something more coming. There is another day. There is a transformation coming. The scripture talks to us about this idea of, of the assurance that we have. We know that we are His. I talk to you a lot about that. You need to know that you know that you know that you know. And, 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 and one of the ways that we know that is, is that the spirit within us gives testimony that we are a child of God. There, there is something within us given by God, by his Holy Spirit, that assures us that we are a child of God. That, that is part of that process. It's part of what he's saying, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit guaranteeing those things. And our response to that, Paul says our response to that, because of this, we live by faith and not by sight. Can, you can't see the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you know, what do you see the wind? The wind comes and goes. You don't know how that works. So, so is the work of God. So is the work of the Spirit. We, we can't really see how that works. But, but somehow by faith, we do see. We see that which cannot be seen. Keep your Bibles open, flip with me, or your phones, or whatever you got. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is this. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, there is something going on. There's something about our faith in God with this work of the Holy Spirit within us that helps us to be able to understand the very presence of God in this place. For you see, it is by faith that we experience the presence of God. In this mortal time, it is by faith that we see those things. It is by faith that we have a sense of the invisible God made visible by faith. Yes, that was a quiet. I want you to say yes to that because this is true. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who is constantly helping us. In this life of faith. 
It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to, draws us to God in the first place and enables us to say yes to God and then helps us to see God where no one else can see God. Helps us to see God in the most dark and difficult circumstances and surroundings around us and yet we still see by faith God in the midst of those things. I know this is kind of a, a nebulous kind of concept, but, but that's how that works according to the Scripture. It is, it is the Holy Spirit within us doing those things in us that enables us to see God and see the things that no one else sees. What did we just read last week? Last week we talked about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says the people are blinded, but those of us who see, we see because God helps us to see. We see this glorious gospel that does not make any sense. Who had ever thought, God come to earth, live, die among us, you know, raise again from the dead? Right. Who's going to believe that business? It doesn't make any sense. But it is the Spirit of God within us, united with this faith, that allows us to say, I get it. I see it. I love it. I embrace it. I'm transformed by it. Now, let me take you to one more passage of Scripture, which I love the way these interact with each other. Keep your fingers around in those passages we've just been at. Go back to Romans again. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 has this kind of amazing little few verses that, that, that talk about this very concept. In Romans chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 26, 27, it says this says, in the same way, see, he's talking about this hope that is seen but is not seen. Well, let me just actually back up and see, read that, because that's so good. Because <laughs> this whole thing, start back at, well, uh, start, okay, go ahead and start back at 22. We're going to get back to 22 again in a minute. Well, we know that the whole creation, well, save that one. I'm going to use that one later. <laughs> it says, but for the hope we have, we're saved. This hope is, that is seen is no hope. If you've seen it, it's not a hope. And he says, you've not seen it. So for what you've already seen, you don't have to hope for. But what you haven't seen, you do hope for. And he says in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. What? With, with groans. With groans that words cannot express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's Word. This amazing kind of work that God is doing within us, it is the Holy Spirit that is working on our behalf. And and when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, and we don't know where we're at and what's going on around us, the Holy Spirit in dwelling in us as a deposit, as a guarantor of the things that are to come, groans within us with this intercession to God on our behalf. You see, we are all going to be changed from this existence to another and until that time, the Holy Spirit dwells within, guaranteeing, interceding, empowering, living within us vibrantly in this place. 
Finally, I would share with you that Paul brings out another great truth. He says this, we will all stand before God to give an accounting of ourselves. We will all stand before him one day and give an accounting of ourselves. And we will receive from him, it says in verse 10, I believe, we will receive that we may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We usually don't like to talk about these things, do we? We, we don't usually like to talk about a judgment day. We, we don't like to think about the idea that one day we're all going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of this and that and the other thing and go down the line and what do we do and what do we do or what didn't we do and what do we do good, what do we do bad and all the rest of that stuff. We usually don't like to talk about all that stuff. But the scripture is full of those kinds of references. You'll remember the story of the, of the stewards and the, the good stewards and some squandered what they were given and others were faithful with it and they stood before God the, the master at the end and, and they either received the words good and faithful servant welcome in or they heard those words go out. You, you remember the separation of the, the sheep and the goats and, and that, that moment. There, there, is, there is that kind of thing going on. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says this idea of nothing is hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from God. Before Him we must give an account. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says, God will expose the motives of the heart. He knows what you are about. Don't panic, folks. The story gets better, okay? Just have somebody walk out here. I don't want you to think. (laughs) Trust me, it gets better. Our response to that, Paul says, he says in verse 9, we therefore, we therefore make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. We make it our goal to please Him. See, clearly we want to live lives that honor God. We want to live lives that obey Him. We want to live lives that that reflect pureness and holiness and this called unto holiness and all that kind of stuff. We want to live those kinds of lives. Those That's our goal. We want to say... God, what do you want? That's what I want. Are you, where are you going? That's where I'm going. God, God, what do you think? That's what I want to think. And, and we live those kinds of lives with intentionality. And to that end, we will be judged, whether good or bad. Now, when I say that, how does that make you feel? If I went down the row and I just went, tell me, you got anything? You got anything in your past that you might want to go with God? 
You got anything? I tell you what, I get a little nervous about that. You all are saying, you walk on water. I, I tell you what, I get a little nervous about that. I say, really, God, I'm going to stand before you, and I'm going to give an accounting, and I'm going to receive what's due me. That's what he says. I'm going to receive what's due me, either good or bad. Let me just tell you, in case you don't know it, there's not a one of us that would stand but for Jesus. There's not a one of us that would stand but for Jesus in that kind of judgment. I'm looking out here. Okay. Hey, judge. <laughs> There's not a one of us that would stand in front of God. You see, I, 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 I'm praying through this, and I'm reading through this, and, I, and I'm thinking, and I'm going, what do, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? You see, I, I understand that I want to honor God. I un- want to under God. But, but in that judgment, in, in that judgment seat, I have to ask this question, and I feel a little bit like I'm Bill Clinton saying, what is, is me? But I ask him the question, what is good and bad? What is good and bad? How do you define good and bad? Because what's good to you may, may not be good to me, and what's bad to you may not be bad to me. How do you find this good and bad thing? And then I read this really amazing passage of Scripture. If you kept your finger, I need more bookmarks because I've got folded, pages folded over and my notes stuck in here. Go back to Hebrews again. Back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6. Hebrews 11, 6. This is what it says. It says, Without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, 6. Usually, we stop right there. And we just say, without faith, it's impossible to please God, period. But that is not the end of the sentence. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, hear this, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you hearing this? He's just defined for us what good means. He's just defined for us what good means and what the judgment, reward, punishment thing is all about. He's just defined that. And what he has said is... Without faith, it is impossible to please God and those who, because anyone who comes to him must what? 
Believe. Believe that God exists. Now, does this just string up all kinds of passages of scriptures for you? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes. All those passages of scripture. What must you do to have eternal life? You must confess that Jesus is Lord and you must believe that he is God's son and that he was raised from the dead. You must believe. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter how you live your life. You understand that? God wants you to honor Him. God wants you to honor Him in all that you do. He cares about those things. He cares about our lives when we are destructive to ourselves or when we're destructive to others. He cares about the fact that if you continue to do this, you harden your soul to the things of God. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter how you live your life. It just matters more that you believe in Jesus Christ and are earnestly seeking Him. That's the business. I just kind of think that on Judgment Day, when we stand before Him, this this is the thing. We need to understand there will be a Judgment Day, but on Judgment Day, when that question comes that we're going to say, what have you done with your life, either good or bad, it's not going to be a list of a history of your life and all the stupid things that you've ever done and all the good things that you've ever done and say, it's not a scale kind of thing, people. If it were, we'd still be under the old law, right? It is by faith. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not a listing of all of this stuff. It is just the question, good or evil. Did you believe or didn't you believe? Did you believe and earnestly seek Him or not? That's it. That's the line. You'll be gracious with me if I'm sounding a little bit like a Baptist. I don't mean to. I'm just telling you, it's not about us. It's, it's, not about, it's not about us keeping a whole set of rules and lists of stuff. I mean, we, we all grew up that kind of way. you got to do this or you're going straight to hell kind of stuff. God wants us to do all of that. No doubt about it. But the bottom line is, do you believe and are you earnestly seeking him? I I love this picture. If you kept your finger in Romans 8, go back to Romans 8. I I, I love this passage of Scripture. I'm I'm, okay. I'm okay. Romans 8 is really this this description of a court scene. I don't know if you have ever read it this way, but but it is is a description of this court scene. And and there there is a there's a prosecutor and there's a defense attorney and there's there's all this stuff going on. And Paul is in the middle of this describing this scene that we have to understand. So just just picture yourself in this heavenly courtroom, in this heavenly debate going on. And you're just there like, oh, God, help me. You know. Verse 31, chapter eight, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? Hear this. If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with us, graciously give us all things? And the next question comes to say, well, but you know what they've done. You, you know how they've lived. You, you, you know what they said last week. You know what happened the other day. You know what, you know, they, you know that big failure they had in their life. Yeah, well, what about that? And Paul says, excuse me, but who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who makes all the difference. If God is on your side, your team is big enough. If God is on your side, your team is talented enough. But, but, you know, this guy, we know this guy. He deserves punishment. He deserves to have the book thrown at him. He deserves something nasty. Here you come one more time. Who is he that condemns? We know this is the devil. He's the one who accuses. He's the one who's trying to prosecute us. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life. You understand this? Who was raised to life. All this imagery of old life and new life. This this mortal made into this eternal, this life, all this stuff. Jesus Christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And we know the rest of the passage. Can anything separate us from the love of God? But when we stand before God in this judgment, we have an advocate. We make it our goal to please Him. And how do you please Him best of all? I believe. I believe. Don't be confused about trying to earn your way into heaven. Don't be confused about trying to be so good that God couldn't possibly not take you into heaven. It will not work. You're not that good. I'm not that good. At least I'm not anyway. Maybe you are. I don't think so. But it is God who justifies. It is God who comes to our rescue. It is Jesus who intercedes for us. We believe. And earnestly seek him with all that we are. Death is waiting for every single one of us. For some of you, it's coming sooner than you think. Or maybe I should say sooner than you want. But death is coming to every single one of us. But we are not like those who have no hope. 
For you see, we know that death is not the end. It is the transformation from mortality to be swallowed up into life. And we have the assurance and power and comfort of the Holy Spirit until that day when we stand before God and we say to him with all our hearts, Jesus, I have chosen you and I choose to live for you. You are my sufficiency. Death is coming. But he who is in us is greater. So we may groan. And we may work hard. But we have this hope within. Amen? Let's pray. You know, I don't suppose that I can finish a sermon like this without just giving the invitation. I know most of all of you. I know you believe this stuff. I know you've embraced it. But if you're today and you have it, I want to tell you all it is, is just believe. It's, it's not a long list of doing stuff. It's just, do you believe? And are you willing to confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? That's all it takes. You may be here today and... And you believe this stuff. But you are so burdened and wrapped up with either fear of an unknown something in death or fear of that day when you're going to stand before God and we will all stand before Him. I want to tell you, God wants to set us free from those kinds of fears. See, it's not about you. It's all about Him. Our big job is just to say yes to His invitation. Yes to His forgiveness. Yes to His newness. Yes to this Spirit that comes and empowers and infuses us. Assures us that we are a child of God. We have altars. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a little bit. While we're singing, if you need to come and pray, if you need to come and groan a little at the bench, I want to invite you just to come. I'd love to pray with you. Part of confessing with our mouths is being willing to say, I don't care who sees me. I don't care who sees me. Head to an altar. I need to pray today. I need to pray and ask Jesus in my heart. I need to pray and just be reminded that it's all about Him. That I don't have to live in fear. In fear of death or in fear of judgment. If you need to pray, I want to pray with you. I'm going to invite you to an altar. While we sing, you come pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. Death is not far away for some. But Lord, we have hope in you.
We looked not to what is seen, to what is unseen. We hear the Spirit's call to hope, to belief, to forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we say, I believe. I will not fear. We are confident of this. We will not lose heart. We will not fear. For we are found in you. And on that day when we see you face to face, it's just Jesus. For we believe. Lord, help us this day. There are some here, Lord, who, who just haven't said yes to you, who haven't said yes to Jesus. I, I don't want to fear. I don't want to fear death and I don't want to fear judgment. I, I, I believe. Lord, would you help them just to come and receive you today? Lord, if there's some here who are just fearful, they, they put their trust in you, but they're just struggling with fear. Would you help them, Lord, to come and find in you peace, the promise of the Holy Spirit? Lord, we give you ourselves in these moments. Speak to us as you would. Help us to respond as you'd have. We pray in Jesus' name.